This short-form podcast will hit your feeds every week opposite the main HeyYA show and will focus on a separate Norma Klein book in each episode. Klein was an early YA writer doing work similar to that of Judy Bloom in the 1970s and 1980s that pushed boundaries and dove into topics so few others were approaching at the time. I'm your host, Kelly Jensen. This is the last episode in the Extra Credit Podcast, and uh Thank you for tuning in all summer long. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I loved the feedback I got from y'all, and I'm super curious to know how many of you read along or how many of you picked up one of these books and uh, either read Klein for the first time or revisited one of her works. Um, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email. It's kelly at riotnewmedia.com, and just let me know what you thought about these books. Um if there are any other authors you think that I should check out or talk about, I'd love to hear from you. Um, today's final episode will focus on the book, It's Okay If You Don't Love Me, which came out in 1977. So it was after Mom, the Wolfman, and Me, but before a number of the other books that I read uh, publication-wise. And I'm going to start by reading the Kirkus Review because the Kirkus Review really sort of uh, captures <laughs> this particular book well. And uh, again, I have to use varied words because I can't say some of these words on air. So uh, you'll understand as I as I read what those words are supposed to mean. So Kirkus Review reads, her ex-stepfather, Phil, thinks she's a, quote, ravishingly sexually adept teeny bopper. But going on 18, Jody is terrifically natural, fresh, sincere, curious, and honest about sex. Her problem isn't whether or not to do it, but whether to call it effing or doing it or making love. Her other problems are a dearth of orgasms and handsome orphan Lyle from Ohio. He's great at tennis, but not being a, quote, liberated, swinging New Yorker yet. He's inhibited, guilt-laden, and at first, a premature ejaculator. Jody remains really patient and loving through Lyle's coming of age in Manhattan, and Lyle's grateful enough to give her an orgasm for her birthday and to put up with her single infidelity and her familial baggage, an effortfully loose-living mother with a live-in psychology boyfriend, and a gargoyleish daddy who cheats at that, quote, vile macho thing of male tennis. Jody tells it all in dialogues and voiceovers that are ever so accurate in their blend of Bloomingdale's, quote, basic lifestyle and a droning canon of nice, okay, wow, kind of, and sort of. And indeed, some will appreciate Klein's veteran good ear and her hipness to ever-shifting sexual mores. But as the psychologist boyfriend says after a long day, quote, could you get me a glass of cold water, two emperin, and a librium? I'll drink to that a heck of a review for this book and also interestingly spot on um so this book is about two people it's about Jody who is a native New Yorker and it's about Lyle this boy she meets when she is doing a summer internship at a big science research facility and Lyle comes from Ohio He's living with his sister and her husband in New York City after losing his parents in a car wreck. So they meet each other at this uh, science internship, and then they take on playing tennis together. Lyle is a really good tennis player, and Jody is interested in learning more about tennis. And if you know anything about this particular time period in history, tennis was a really big deal. Um, 
there was just a book out. It was a memoir, uh, You All Grow Up and Leave Me. And that one, I think, is set at the same time or very close to the same time and is about sort of this tennis culture that was really emerging at the time, particularly among more upper class and upper middle class uh, teenagers at the time. So um, this is interesting because it really it reflected a lot of those things that I read in that memoir uh, when I read that one. And I couldn't help thinking about Jody sort of wanting to have this status with it. And I'll get to that in a moment uh, because class is a big topic in this particular book. And that's something that the Kirkus Reed doesn't dig into. So Jody and Lyle meet and then they take turns playing tennis. And as they're playing tennis, they start to have romantic feelings toward one another, and they start to have this very sexual relationship with one another. Uh, it's Jody who's really sort of pursuing this more than Lyle. Throughout, we see Lyle sort of uh, backing down from wanting to have intercourse and from wanting to do really sexual things with Jody, in part because he is a virgin and she is not, and in part because he's just not quite as curious about it as she is. And we see that this changes over time. It has nothing to do with her in particular. It's just his own hangups. And it's actually kind of interesting to think about his hangups versus Jody's real interest in sex. And I think that that is one of the things in this particular book that I thought was super noteworthy. Jody is very interested in sex. Jody is very open about being a sexual person and the types of sex that she participates in or is curious about range the entire spectrum. And we see it all in the book, um, which I think was really, really wild, particularly at that time in YA fiction. I think even now thinking about this book, uh, it talks about intercourse, it talks about uh, oral sex, it talks about female masturbation. And these are things that we so rarely see now to see them all in a book published originally in 1977 is uh, really surprising. And I really appreciated just how open and curious Jodi was about her sexuality. So that aside, I thought Jodi was also this very frustrating character. She um, has a lot of preconceived notions about so many things and so many people in the way that teenagers do. But hers sort of got very grating after a while. And I found this particularly to be the case when she talked about the differences between her and Lyle when it comes to their upbringing. So Lyle came from Ohio. He's clearly not as cultured and not as worldly as she is because she grew up in New York City. And there's a lot of playing into this idea of rural versus urban and how backwards people from the Midwest could be. And uh, it's not quite challenged as much as it should be, um, as much as I hoped it would be, particularly because we don't get to see Lyle's side of the story very much. We are seeing it all through Jody's perspective, but clearly there's something more going on with Lyle, and Lyle has just suffered this incredible loss of his parents, but that doesn't come up very much. Um, it's just sort of a thing that happened. We also see this really interesting dynamic of Jody being Jewish and um, Lyle's sister being Catholic. And there's this particularly 
interesting scene near the end of the book where Lyle's sister is pregnant again, and this is causing her some distress. Uh, she's not feeling great, and Jody is over there and suggests that she gets an abortion if she's that unhappy. On one hand, it's awesome because we see this discussion of abortion going on, again, in a book at a very, very early time um, when these conversations weren't as common, particularly in YA fiction, with a teen bringing this this topic up. But we then see Lyle's sister and his brother-in-law get really, really defensive about it, and Jody doesn't seem to understand that it's not because of her views on abortion, but because they're very Catholic and this is just something that they don't see as an option for themselves. Um, Not that they don't think it's right for other people, but it's a really interesting uh, clash of, of backgrounds here. And Jody is unable to step outside her own experiences and understand the experiences that other people have had um, or the belief systems that they grew up with or practice uh, because she's only ever had her own um, and she's only ever been exposed to people who are like her, which takes me to sort of this interesting thing where she doesn't have any friends. So she goes to a private school and she says very early on that she doesn't have any good friends in part because her best friend moved away. Her best friend's going to a different school somewhere else. And her um, last year was spent with this guy, this very popular guy who was a year older than her. They had this very intense relationship, and her entire self got wrapped up in this guy. When they broke up, she had nothing. And she doesn't seem particularly sad about this either. Uh, She's okay not really having friends. When this guy comes back, though, uh, she's deep in her relationship with Lyle at this point. He comes back for this alumni gathering, and Jody sees him. She gets excited about him, even though they are broken up and that he sort of um, is not part of her life anymore at all. Jody decides that she's going to sleep with him, even though she's in this relationship with Lyle. And the secret affair she has with Wesley is his name. Uh, Whitney, sorry, Whitney is his name. Um, She doesn't tell Lyle about it until she does. And um, that puts their relationship a bit on rocks. And she doesn't understand why. She doesn't understand why Lyle would be upset about this. And um, the reason that she slept with Whitney is because, as she says... I did it because I knew I'd been looking about 100 times better this year than I did last year when I'd gone with Whitney. I'd lost about 10 pounds, and my figure had kind of settled into the right places. Uh, More than that, this particular morning, looking at myself in the mirror, I knew it was one of my good days. I wanted to show Whitney all of me, show him how I'd improved, and sad to say I wanted to show him I could now come when we made love and I was on my way to being a liberated woman and all that junk. Um, Interesting. She wanted to just prove herself to him, even though she had this boyfriend. And I thought that even just that dialogue sort of showed this belief system Jody had about the ways that she was this liberated city girl and Lyle is just this like sweet country boy who is, um, who needs her, who needs her to sort of be, um, 
this liberating presence in his life. The uh, book offers, in terms of relationships, this really interesting dynamic with her mom. Um, as has been seen in all of the books that I've talked about here, uh, Norman Klein has done some really interesting things with the parents in these books and has offered these really unique family relationships that were not seen at the time and that I think are still fairly rare to see. And in the case of Jody, her mom is twice divorced. She married Jody's father. They don't have a relationship at all. Jody's mom then married this man named Philip, who became her stepfather. They broke up. Jody maintains this really close, very sort of strange relationship with her stepfather, Philip. Um, they hang out all the time, and Jody sees herself as sort of like the hot young girl that he lusts after. And when Phil is in another relationship later in the book, Jody's actually kind of disappointed about this, thinking that she no longer has a place in his life uh, as sort of like the the young liberated woman who he can lust after. Um, and then Jody's mom has this third relationship with this third guy. His name is Elliot. He lives with them, but her mom will not marry him because her mom thinks that the marriage institution just doesn't work for her. Um, but she's fine sleeping with this guy and having him live in the house. So she's got this like third, not stepfather, but a uh, male figure in her life. The um, trend that I saw in other Norma Klein books where fatness is really derided continues in this one as I even that little passage I read pointed out um Jody talks regularly about how she is a chubby person and um fatness and chubbiness are seen as problems as character flaws throughout which is interesting it's interesting to think again about how many smart things Klein did in her books, and yet this remained a challenge for her in each and every one of these books I read. Um, fatness and being larger than what is quote-unquote average was seen as a character flaw in some capacity. Um, but yet we see all these really, really insightful and moving portrayals of unique families, of um, sexualities that aren't uh, heterosexual, that aren't what are deemed quote unquote normal. It's, it's just a, it's an uncomfortable kind of juxtaposition to see so much openness and then yet still see this thing over and over again. That is clearly a sort of um, limiting piece of, of being inclusive in her work. This wasn't my favorite of the Klein books, but one of the better ones. Um, and I think in part because I really appreciated this very sexually open and curious teen girl in a way that we just, we don't see now that we didn't see then. Um, there's some really open discussion about how Jody can't orgasm. This comes up over and over and over again. And part of what she believes is that it's Lyle and his background, but she doesn't say it. She thinks it, but she doesn't say it. And so the first time she is able to orgasm with Lyle, it becomes this huge thing. And then she says something to the effect of, well, it's okay if it doesn't happen again. It happened once. 
And Lyle's like, you never want to orgasm again ever. And she's like, oh, well, maybe I do. But like, it's okay if it doesn't happen. Um, Which is just this like perfectly naive look at how sex works from the point of a teenager. Um, You know, you can get annoyed as an adult reading it and you can get um, sort of sad for Jody as well as particularly for Lyle in that that moment but it's easy then to step back and be like they're teenagers they don't quite understand how complex uh, human sexuality is both in the physical and the emotional and the mental um, aspects of it so um, I really appreciated that this one did not feel as soapy as some of her other books have felt um but I really, I wanted more from this one. I wanted to know Lyle more. I wanted more digging into class. Uh, I didn't even bring that up yet. Jody is from an upper middle class background. And she often talks about her father and his job where he makes a lot of money. He uh, is a dentist and apparently um, has this access to a country club and just has, he has a lot of things in his life that um, are are signaling just how well off Jody has been for forever. And she's never had to worry about um, finances in any sort of way. Whereas Lyle is, he comes from a very different background. It's a working class background. His sister um, and her husband, they don't have very much. You even see it when Jody talks about the place they live. It's very, very different from where she lives. And um, Lyle just at, in addition to coming from the Midwest, doesn't have any of the haves that she she does. And um, I wanted a little more of that. I wanted more pushback from Lyle. I just wanted to get to know Lyle as a character more than I did. Um, I was thinking a lot about the discussion Brandy Colbert and I had about Mom the Wolf, Man and Me, and how very interesting the city life was. And um, how growing up in the Midwest sort of shapes the ideas of what growing up in a city like New York would be. And um, I just, some of the things in this book just like brought that back into, into my mind. Uh, for example, I didn't even bring this up yet. Um, so Jody has a brother, his name is Eric. And um, one of the things that their father, their actual father wanted to do for his birthday was get him a call girl, which is like one of the strangest things I've heard. Um, but she, she talks about how, how weird that was, but like that, that was even a thought was so strange to me. There's also this moment where Jody talks about, uh, smoking pot with family members. I can't remember which family members she did it with of course I'm flipping through the book trying to find it um which was just like this very strange moment of well that's just a thing we do we're very open and uh you know we hang out and we drink uh there was a lot of offering of alcohol in this particular book and I thought that the discussions that Jody had with even her stepfather about having sex were just unbelievably open and um mature in a way that made me as a reader uncomfortable but also oh here it is um yeah after supper we smoked a little grass that philip had had around uh she's smoking weed with her stepfather um 
and Jody talks about how uh, grass doesn't do anything great for her anymore. Mostly I get sleepy. And once I had this really bad anxiety attack, um, I, I never seem to get any wonderful insights into the meaning of it all. Um, it's just, it's funny. Um, there's also this line at the end of chapter two about how Jody says um she's talking about having lyle over for the first time hanging up i suddenly felt a little apprehensive why invite him for dinner if i strike him as weird wait till he sees the whole show in action on the other hand i hate trying to give a false impression i mean they are my family and they do have certain virtues maybe it'll be interesting for him to see a real new york family and that i think is a perfect sort of way to wrap up this book, as well as this entire uh, project, in that one of the things I think this project and, and normal clients work in general has shown is just how varied and various families look, how they feel, how each person in a family operates in this very different way, and yet has this very specific role to play in the family. And um, I mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts that the adults in her book seem to take on a more juvenile role, whereas these teenagers seem to have these like adult roles in the book. And I think that this one is no different, particularly as we see Jody thinking that she needs to be this like hot girl for her stepfather and that she sort of needs to explain why her mother has had so many relationships with men and um, that she too has to sort of give give Lyle this look at what a real New York family is like. And these are really books about life in New York City as well. Most of these books have featured a teen girl who is Jewish. So it's a teen Jewish girl experience in New York City at a particular time. We got the 70s and 80s. And also most of these characters have been from upper middle class families. Not all of them, but most of them have been. So it's a very particular viewpoint and very particular time frame and setting. And yet some of the bigger issues in these books, so thinking about family dynamics, thinking about sexuality, thinking about um, relationships that we have with our peers as well as with our family members, those are so universal. And I feel like she really hit something bigger here. Um, and it's interesting to have read the books out of order rather than reading them in order because you can see some of the pieces that she was working with earlier on as they ended up translating into books that came later. And you can see her her thinking and her perspectives as they grew and as they changed and as they shifted. And it's just a really neat experience to take such a deep dive into the books. Um, I don't think that these books particularly resonated with me in the way that I think they may have when I was younger, but it's it's hard to say that too, thinking about my upbringing as somebody who was lower middle class, who did come from a family that was not your typical nuclear family, but who also had no religious background at all, and who um, didn't have that much interest for New York City or have this lust for their urban life. I grew up in what are now the suburbs, but it was really quite rural uh, when I was growing up outside the city of Chicago, which was sort of the big city at the time. And Chicago was where everybody wanted to be. And Chicago is a very different feel than New York City. And um, 
it's just, it's interesting to think like what I would have thought with these books growing up. Um, Judy Bloom was a staple in my young reading life. Um, and I can see how Norma Klein was such a staple for readers who were young too, though I think she is quite different than Judy Bloom. I see the parallels, but I don't necessarily think that they are one and the same at all. Um, I think that that's maybe a good place to end the show, to end the series. And um, thank you all so much for tuning in, for being a part of this conversation, and for coming along for the journey. I hope it was interesting for you. I hope that uh, some of the takeaways that you got listening were along the lines of the takeaways that I got. I hope that you have maybe picked up a book that you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. If you've been a longtime Norma Klein fan, uh, I hope that you revisited a book of hers or plan to revisit a book of hers and just sort of see what why has become in the in the generations afterward. Um, she certainly did some tremendous things. And despite the weaknesses, those, I think, those big, tremendous things outweigh those weaknesses. Um, but also they shine a light into why we're still having to highlight things like fatness, why we have to keep talking about how we talk about the body and what it does and does not mean. So on that note, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you next week for the main podcast and maybe in the future we'll do another short form podcast of some, some sort, uh, but I make no promises. So have a good one and I will talk to you again soon. Bye.